Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Good to see you. Uh, let's pray, and then there's a thousand things to talk about. Here we go. So we're three Sundays uh, after Epiphany. Almighty God and Father, who called the Gentiles to walk in the fellowship of your Son, and wills that all human beings be saved, grant we beg you that the voice of your word may go to every land, that the gospel may be proclaimed to every creature, and that every nation may thank you and serve you through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Uh, thanks to the kids for singing. That was very, very nice. Uh, you may or may not know Chuck Brown. They give him more to do at the university. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's retired from being our choir master, but he was back up there this morning. So Peter's kind of taken over. There's another good reason to give all your money to St. John and not to the university. I mean, <laughs> teach him a lesson. Use your money as a weapon. I guess that's the lesson of this story. So, uh, but anyway, the kids, were, the kids were nice this morning. And uh, you'll be able to hear him better when the new organ comes and the new microphones, uh, or the microphones get rearranged. Uh, everything will be a lot better, but it was nice to have the kids sing, so that was fun. Um, sign up for the men's retreat. Now's the time. You guys, you big, make people sign up. You're big yonker. Make them sign up, okay? Someplace there's a, there's a, there's a, Bukes has a, a little pad running around right somewhere. Sign up. No, it's online, but there's also, there's like a, there's a tablet floating around this morning. It's also, it's been down on the, is it up here? Vic, are you here? Vic, you still alive? Vic, where are you? There he is. Hey, have we got the pad. That we got that pad that to sign up. Can you get it? And in the way of the gospel, not the law, you know, give it back there to Butcher, who's probably already signed up, and pass it around. See, watch people and put it into their permanent record whether they sign up or not. Okay. So, but we got to get you know no count. Uh, stay overnight if you want. You don't have to stay overnight, of course. But this is a, it's a very easy thing to bring your friends to and. In back, there's an article written by the guy who uh, is coming along. This should be old news to you. It's new news to Christianity Today because he was on the January cover, so you know, everybody's getting geared up for Luther stuff. So uh, have a look at that if you want. Then there was also uh, a big thing about the people in Spain that you're supporting, so kind of rewind the history a little bit. The Argentinians were there. They've pulled back. Arthur just goes for a couple years. A pastor gets called. Another pastor gets called. Um, Arthur is kind of helping there and also with the new seminary that's being built in the Dominican Republic. And um, these two guys are sort of uh, carrying, uh, carrying, the, carrying the water. So you can read a little bit about this, but these are the guys you're supporting. So they may come They may come see us in May. We're kind of working on a date and trying to figure out if we want to give up a Bible study. I never know quite whether, you know, how good it is. I mean, here we've been, you know, we haven't been together for four or five weeks. And, um, you know, it's always good. Like, it was very interesting to have the bishop come and talk to us last week. And then, but we missed time together and talking about St. John. So I try to get the balance right. If, I mean, we could have a visitor every week if we wanted. People always want to come here and talk. So, which is great. I mean, that's a great tribute to you and, and everything else that happens here. So, women's Bible study on, um, you know, on Fridays, if you're free on Fridays to come to this, Pastor Nelson is sort of gently moving into uh, gender study and what it means to be in the church and theology of the body, this great thing written by uh, John Paul II that's, you know, re- literally it's three and a half inches thick and with a bit of genius, and so he's pursuing uh, a bit of that. He went to a seminar for a week 
a couple of months ago. So it's, it's interesting and timely and uh, dangerous and could be salutary, you know, so we'll see what happens. Okay, anything else we should be talking about? Trying to get back to normal, that means you should give money to pads, is that right? Is that what I was supposed to do? Yeah, right. I can only remember about four things unless I take my shoes off. So you can help me to count along. So it's going to pads. All right, good. And someday we're going to tell people, we probably have a quarter report coming out pretty soon about where money is going. All right, good. So be up on the screen. Do your thing. At, how did, do we know anything about Grace yet, or is somebody going to tell us that later? Okay, good. Okay, so here we go. Anything else? So, you know, we started the year with the creed. I just gave you, you know, it's been a while since we were together, so I don't want to do all this, but I just sort of gave you, you know, this is why we were doing what we're doing, because um, the creed basically tells you how God wants to bless you. And, um, you know, trying to remember the good that's been done to us by other people and also by God is very difficult for us. You know, we have very short attention spans. We, uh, we pay attention to what's in front of us. But memory is really a discipline. And, of course, in the church, we have all these ways that make us remember. You know, we have the liturgy. You know, we read the scriptures. It's one of the reasons we read the Old Testament here. I don't know if you remember, but, you know, that you didn't used to have an Old Testament lesson when I came. But often there wasn't an Old Testament. A lot of churches don't read, you know, cause that, that, but that's your history. We're going to come to the vigil, and we're going to say, this is your story. So there's all sorts of ways of remembering. And we... We turn into what we remember if we remember it hard enough, right? If we pay, whatever we pay attention to, whatever we touch, that's what we become in many, many ways. Touch evil, you become that. Touch good, you become that. Touch this message about how Jesus wants to bless you, and you find yourself living in blessing. It's just like, you know, your kids or your wife or your husband or your friends or your family. If you remember the good about them, you know, that's what environment is created if you always are troubled or critical, that you can create that environment and live in that. So this, this creed, you know, tells you your story, God's story, how he wants to bless you, what you're meant for. So to remember this idea that memory makes us, it's point two, that memory makes us, is really a very literal sort of thing. We, we become what we tend. And then, you know, what we tend most is that point three, that Jesus has been very, very tender with us, that Jesus loves us more than we love ourselves. And this one story that, that Jesus comes to bless us, and then he leaves behind these gifts and says, you know, treasure these things up. Um, it was interesting because we had this week, I think last Friday, we had Jesus in the temple where, again, the phrase was used. The phrase that came when uh, after the angels left and the shepherds left and Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, was again in the story for last Friday, the gospel we read at Daily Eucharist, about Jesus in the temple. And, you know, they look for him, and they think he was with relatives. They go back, he's in the temple. They're like, what are you up to? And he says, I'm in my father's house. And then he, very interesting, Jesus goes with them and is obedient to them. That's how the text goes. And then it says, and Mary treasured all this up in her heart. And then again, Jesus uses this word in the Great Commission teaching them to treasure up everything I've left behind, right? It doesn't, you know, we talked about this. It's, it's a little rough to say, you know, make disciples baptizing and teaching them to obey everything I commanded. You know, you have at least two words that give Americans rashes, you know, <laughs> obey and command, right? I mean, what it really says is, you know, 
reminding them to treasure up everything I've left behind, the way Mary treasured me up. That's what the church should be like, right? And then um, the understanding of the creed is a revelation to us, that Jesus is tender with us and continues to teach us, and that when we give ourselves to Jesus, we become free. The whole national conversation is so interesting right now. Um, I, I sort of ask myself whenever I watch or listen now to all the pushes and pulls in America, I, I, I ask myself what the end game is and what, what, people, um, what people are pushing toward. And if they get it, what will happen to them and what would happen to us. It's very interesting. Uh, the church becomes more and more other. So that's very interesting. The church is the place where people admit things and are forgiven for things and have fresh starts. Those are three very critical steps that aren't always observable in natural life on any side of the argument. That people can say, I was horrible, and that other people can say, I forgive you, and I love you, and here we start again. To which the reply is, thank you very much, and I'll never be the person I was before. Think about how foreign that is to the national conversation right now on all sides. Right? So the church has such an other message. And what will happen is, is that there'll be winners and losers and people will be ground down to nothing. And of course the church has a very different, uh, a very different way of talking about things. So faith has this long view and we understand ourselves to have a very different story than the world has. And I give you the progression under five. That love delivers trust which is held in memory that makes us grateful and then obedient and we live in blessing and hope and then sometimes all the way back to eternal love, right? So um, this is the reason we say the creed every week. I do remember um, it was one of my first weeks at college where I went to a Lutheran church um, and at the point of the creed, um, the pastor said, we won't say the creed this week until um, I get done rewriting it so that it's acceptable to everybody. I'm not kidding you. I mean, this is 19, you know, I'm old, come on. This is, you know, 35 years ago, right? To which it was just kind of a stunner. You think, and I mean, even then you kind of go, well, it's not your creed, you know? And, and, and frankly, looking at all of you, we're not very reliable, right? <laughs> we're going to make up a creed that is acceptable to us? Well, I mean, that's a different way to think about the world. We, of course, think in a different way that God in Christ has been kind enough to tell us about himself. And we would um, then say things back. And so because of all that, we live in hope. So that's, that's where we've been, okay? Everybody good? Questions about anything? You all okay? You all stand calm? Life's good? Carries on? All right. Um, the angels. We talked a little bit about the angels last time. I left you with the negative story of the demons, which was probably a difficult place to... The only thing that could redeem that was Christmas. And so you had this, these great stories of the angels first coming and promising to Mary inviting Mary to be part of this remarkable story of how people would be saved and how the world would be restored. And then the angels rejoicing in the fact that it happened, right? That's what's happening. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. So the, the heaven drops down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and uh, there is the chance for peace again. So I'm, uh, if you have a big fat outline... Um, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at point eight, and I'm going to kind of move away very quickly. I talked to you about how uh, angels are, are there, how bad angels surround you as demons and are, and, are, and are wicked smart. 
And you know, I've talked to you um, several times about not engaging that, but if you just sort of look down this laundry list of sins, you'll see that these also engage us. That pride is expresses hate for the Lord, that they indulge themselves and become the arbiter of all things. But now um, other things, that demons are always subject to Satan, that if you engage in something pagan, you are uh, making offerings to demons, that witchcraft is meddling with demons, right? And um, that sinful lives always go toward what is devilish, right? So just the bottom line, Satan is a murderer, a liar, a seducer, an accuser. And you know that brilliant piece by John Kleining that I've given you from time to time, it came up, I gave it away to the new members class the last couple of weeks, but how, you know, sometimes it is, of course, Satan tempts you to do horrible things to yourself and to other people, but one of the most difficult things um, and one of the places where we are most weak is when we condemn ourselves and continue to condemn ourselves and we can't possibly believe that we're lovable or forgivable or, in fact, that Jesus loves us. And you remember there was a series of sermons about this a few years ago where I said, you know, every sin starts with a lie and this is the lie that starts every sin, that Jesus doesn't love you. And that, we always, we always think to ourselves that the thing that will really get to us is, you know, some sort of exorcist thing where your head spins around or, you know, some, some sort of, you know, remarkable display. You know, the hardest thing I would suggest, uh, there's, there's two things that are very difficult. One is the hard-heartedness of that I'm right, the pridefulness of that I have nothing to repent of. And then the second thing is this notion of that I'm unforgivable. So these two sides that are both under the law, that I'm very proud and there's nothing I have to confess. I'm right and you're wrong. I'm better than you. And just kind of think to yourself about the national conversation, right? And then this other side of I'm horribly unlovable. No one could ever love me. No one could ever forgive me. God doesn't love me. I'm stuck where I am, which just brings you to ash, Right? And this whole notion of people being alone and unloved. So the increasing alienation or loneliness of people who just want to be loved. Right? That's satanic. You know, that's that's Satan accusing you and saying you're not worthy of this and it could never happen to you. And, of course, Jesus' response is, hey, follow me. Let's go. Everything's forgiven. New life, resurrection. All those stories that you know really, really well. So anyway, that puts a period on the demonic. Any questions about that? It's a real thing by real persons. Angels are persons. They think, they choose, they act. You know, they're here even though you can't see them. When you say, I believe in what's visible and invisible, you're saying, I believe in all things that were created, the stuff that I can see, but also this world around us. And we're going to talk a little bit toward the end about what that world might look like. Okay? Everybody good? All right. Yes, Bill Shuey. Are we going to know our guardian angel when we get to heaven? It's really interesting. Um, There are people who argue that you know your guardian angel right now. Now, this is pressing it just a little bit. So I'm going off the, I'm going to go outside the lines a little bit in color for you, Bill. You know, there are people, mystical people, who um, were even said to send messages between themselves via guardian angel, right? Now, this gets very, very kind of, this gets very kind of, you know, out there. How do people know things? How do people see things? What happens with people who are, you know, mystics? What, how do people communicate? What happens to people who are really theologically aware? You know, and these people are doctors in the church. Um, St. John of the Cross or St. Teresa, you know. 
you know, what happens with them. So, um, you know, there's all the way from our end, which would be, I'm probably making people nervous at places just saying you have a guardian angel, but I feel pretty comfortable since Jesus says, Bill Shuey has an angel that beholds the face of God directly, which is a remarkable thing, that your angel sees God directly. You may not see your angel, and you don't see God directly, but your angel is there and sees God directly. That's a remarkable thing. So for official business, Bill, that's as far as I will push. Uh, however, there is a tradition in the church of people even now knowing their guardian angels and frankly in conversation with them and actually using them for the good of the church. You can chase that if you want. You know, it's around. Um, I think you're going to spend eternity meeting a lot of people in heaven. And you, friend, let's, let's be honest, you and I are going to be surprised <clears throat> by who's there and in what form. Right? So, uh, you know, we'll just sort of go with that. But, I, you know, uh, you, you've probably given your guardian angel a workout over the years, wouldn't you think? Yeah, you're still working on it. Right. For the good, I hope. Okay? Yeah. So, um, yes, Mr. Shaw. I wanted to read up on that. Where in the Bible is it about guardian angels? Well, there's very, it's just at the bottom of this page. Um, Matthew 18.10 is about as big as it is. But you have, now, young Ferrer. No, it's good? It's flat? Never mind, Ferrer. I was, uh, Mr. Schlesselman sent his guardian angel over to you, talked to you, sent it back, and it's all worked out already. So there you go. Um, it's, just, it's, it's primarily from this and the appearances of the angel, but this thing where Jesus says, don't despise these little ones, I tell you, in heaven their angels always see the face of God. Go ahead. Is it wrong to think of God as your guardian angel? Yeah, because God's a different... An uncreated thing, and your angel is a created thing. That's the biggest thing, right? But there's a lot of good ways you can think about God. Yes? When you said angels choose, are they choosing anymore? Are they like now that now that there's been a distinction between angels and demons, they not, a demon's not going to repent. Yeah, I put this once over two beers with John Kleinig. I put, I put the question to him, could Satan repent? Right? So, you know, so that's, the, that's what happens when it gets really late. And you, have, you know. They choose in the sense of um, they can choose to act, right? right? So we have this purpose, which is to slay you or to benefit you, to protect you or ruin you. And people, just like people, you know, there are people probably who want to ruin you, and there are people probably who want only your best. Uh, I mean, when you have a will and an intelligence, you're a being with a will and an intelligence. See, we always think about, because, you know, because Hopkins says skin, that's what makes him. There's a lot more going on right here, right? Thinking, choosing, loving, you know, heart, mind, um, soul. So, yeah, I mean, they choose. There's this, there's this cosmic drama going on around us. You know, we talk, this is where we kind of think back to you know, remember I drew you a box and I said that, you know, the great, the great trouble of, um, I mean, kind of the winners in the game, you know, uh, and this is what people, in, you know, you have this, you have a materialistic view of the world where you say, I, I own, the only things that are real are what I can measure and repeat, for example, right? Well, I mean, you know, as the Psalms say, God sits in the heavens and laughs, right? So you say, well, the world is only as big as I can see and measure. Well... Why do you get to make the rules, right? But, of course, this is the world we live in. And the, the, great weakness of, the great weakness of a worldview that ends with us, right? There couldn't possibly be anything transcendent. There couldn't be anything beyond me, right? 
I mean, you know it is these questions about, you know, tree fall in the forest, you don't hear it, doesn't make noise. That's all from the same question, which is, if I don't witness it and I can't repeat it, does it really happen? Well, you've really overestimated your own importance at that point, right? This is completely valuable. I mean, one of the things I said is you don't have to be at war with this. You just have to know what the game is, right? So you remember we did this as sort of math is so pure. This is why Howenstein, his wife loves him so much. He's a math professor, and she thinks he's wonderful because he's always crystal clear and always right. Did I get that? Did I get it? Worked out, kind of? Yeah, so and then, you know, so one thing is, you know, kind of you create a system that works, right? You conclude your presuppositions. Below that is you can give reasons for things. And then, the, you know, like, for example, Immanuel Kant, who was loved reason, used to give a, a set of um, lectures on London in Germany. And, you know, I can, there's a story about a guy coming afterwards, a British man coming saying, it's remarkable. He said, you know, you must know. He said, you must, you, you must love it when you go to London. He says, oh, I've no, never been there, you know. <laughs> just, just reads about it. Because even he trusts authorities, Right? Right? And then there is, you know, your own experience. For I mean, You explain to me how you can love your husband, right? Okay, if that's not hard enough, explain to me how you can love people who hurt you. Explain to me how people die for other people, right? Is it really just the chemicals going off in your brain, which is kind of the, the thing. Every, everything is reduced to a chemical transaction in your brain. What if, what if um, the chemical transaction is the second thing and not the first thing? What if it only bears the meaning but isn't the meaning, right? What if there's something before it? You can measure the chemicals. Fabulous. How do you know that that's the first cause? There are all kinds of questions like this. You don't have to get all riled up about it. The hard thing is to maintain a conversation where people start the conversation by saying, hey, you're really stupid, so you know, how's your life working out? Right? It's just really, we've re- so reduced the conversation that it, it, it's, it's, it's so, it's so narrow-minded right? that you just sort of go, you know, is, is, is that the only way to know things? Or you tell me, is beauty a way of knowing things? And perhaps a less crude and more interesting way of knowing things, right? You have to be careful, of course, because if you think it's beautiful to murder everybody who doesn't look like you by gender, skin color, or something else, you know, then you know, you have other questions about what, what's beautiful, right? But this is why what's so much remarkable about Jesus, right? It's a life that is, um, I mean, you can call him a loser if you want, but it is a life that is engaging and fulfilling and expansive if you only give it a chance, right? And at the end of the day, everybody's going to die and Jesus is going to sort it out, which is why everybody doesn't have to get you know, so nervous about, hey, what if we don't win? Or what if America doesn't exist? Or blah, blah, blah. There's only one thing that matters. It's kind of the end of the day question, right? So you pay your money, you take your choice, you move through life, and you know, this is what you learn from the saints, which is you move through life, and then at the end of the day, there's a period on the end, and God sorts it out. Um, The woefulness is for people who played their whole life as if God didn't exist, and then he sorts it out. This is, you know. Then the next question is, how do you attract those people, right? You attract them in love. Right? You don't attract them in lecturing them by force, you know, by making the Pope the emperor too, by having the church, you know, burn people. That's not how it works, right? That's not Jesus. What's attractive about Jesus is that he loves people and he shows them something that is beyond measure, right? Beyond repeatable observation, for example, like the resurrection. 
but does have tremendous influence, right? So what do pastors do? What do you do? You tell a particular story and you live in a particular way and you believe that the Holy Spirit will go to work and you let the chips fall where they fall, which kind of frees you and leaves you from having, you know, all this nervousness about, you know, this is why the whole thing about measuring people and how many people did we reach. So this is my old thing about you get credit for at bats, right? You get credit for swings, you know? That's what, that's what you get credit for. You get credit for living well. That's the point, Right? So this is all of the same, you know, I've, I've admitted to this to you for years now, that I only have one song. I just sing it in different, uh, you know, with different tunes, right? That makes sense? Okay. So it's not, mostly, you, you just have to be free of living angrily. You know, the, this is the great temptation of Satan is for you to be angry all the time, right? It's the great temptation of our world right now. Everybody is, everybody, everybody is angry at everybody all the time, except when they are. When's the one time that you see people not being angry at other people? When they're squashing them. Well, when they're asleep, they're even then. Even then, there's a little toss and a turn to build. No, it's when they're squashing them, when they, when they can show that they're in charge. What else is America right now but people trying to show, I can dominate you? Right? We've seen this before. This is nothing new. This is, this is read history. We've seen this before. It doesn't end well. So, right? So, um, you, know, you just have to figure out where you're going to play your cards. My advice is to play them at the Eucharist. Okay? All right. So, um, happier news. Ten. Angels as your invisible ally. Right? So, I mean, you should begin to think of the angels in this way. Much of you think of the saints, right? That these people are always with you and they pray for you and they love you and they care for you and console you and protect you. You have no idea how many times that you have been um, near to death or have been spared or have been saved from doing something really stupid or turned, you know, right way around a corner because God apparently has some good use for you in the future. You have no idea how often this has happened. You have no idea how often your life has played out in a proper way um, by the grace of God because God is interested in how your life proceeds. You have no idea how often God has saved you. I mean, can you think of the stupid stuff you've done in your life? You know, this is my whole thing about you know, kids who get arrested or kids who get caught with drugs or kids who get caught doing other things. You know what? I always feel so bad for them because they're the kid. That every, every one of their friends is doing it too. And it's just, you just feel bad for them because everybody else is angry and you're kind of like, yeah, they're the ones that got caught. It's not to justify it. It's just like, you know, it could have been anybody almost. So, Pastor, yes. Is it okay to like thank your angel or to talk to you? So is this, a, so now, see, this is you and Shuey. What do you got, a club going? So, uh, you know, see, the thing is, is you, you're, you're forcing me to take the microphone off, right? Because you, you know when this happens, everything goes down. Yes. Well, I mean, come on. Uh, well, so here, I'll give you the correct answer for consumption, which would be, you, of course, thank God for the angels that he's put all around you. But I, uh, I am interested very much in this whole notion of, of an angel who stays with you and always good for you. Um, it wouldn't kill you to say thanks, right? Um, if this is, uh, you know, there's so many things that Lutherans got nervous about during the Reformation, that there was a bit of baby out with the bathwater stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, um, when people do good things for you, it's proper to say thanks. Um, sometimes you have to send the note anonymously because you don't actually know who it came from. But I would, um, at the very least, thank the baby Jesus. 
And um, I couldn't imagine it possibly being a sin um, to say thanks to the angels who protect you. It's all over the scriptures, for goodness sakes. So I knew a man. I'm trying to think. I think this was Nagel's brother, who was um, a missionary in New Guinea. See, the thing is, is these kind of stories stack up if you know people. In New Guinea, I remember another missionary in New Guinea who, this is sort of like, so this is in our generation. This guy's five years older than I am. He was a missionary in New Guinea, and he went once, uh, as they're sort of trudging through the bush, um, they meet folks, and they sit down by the fire, um, and he takes off his shoes, and the, the local folk thought he was taking off his feet. They'd never seen shoes before, right? So you kind of have to have this kind of worldview, right? So I think it was, I think this story was that Nagel's, I think this was Nagel's brother who was serving in, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly, you know, these sort of stories are told late over dinner, kind of, uh, you know, in darkness after two scotches and by candlelight. So it's sometimes the, but I can remember him saying, um, these two guys are missionaries, they come into this village and they're met by the elders at the, at the outskirts of the village and um, they put them to bed at night in a, in a hut. And when they get up and, uh, in the morning, the, the head of the village says to them, the elder comes to them and says, where's the other guy? What other guy? He said, there's only two of you here asleep. Last night when you came, there was three. What do you do with that, right? To people who are tuned into that world, right? What do you, what do, you do with that? I could tell you a dozen stories like that of people I know who are just solid citizen people. What do you do with that? Well, you know, the world is bigger than we know, right? So, I mean, clearly what they referred to was the guardian angel who stood beside him and sort of brought him through the bush safely to these people who, where they then started a church. What do you do with that? At the very least, you would think it would be something you'd say thank you for, right? So, uh, you know, I don't know. Can you, can you make it happen again? I don't know. Um, but it's all over the scriptures. Yes, Pastor. So I'm, I'm wondering if, for anybody who's nervous about uh, overtly communicating with their with their guardian angel, one, one way I, I try to thank my wife is by giving her a little bit less work to do. <laughs> so maybe if that angel somehow gets you out of a well, could you avoid the well next time? <laughs> might might that be helpful? You're, you're smarter than you were when you left us. <laughs> Yeah, of course. You're a genius, right? Yeah. This is, a, you know, don't do stupid stuff, right? Yeah, right. It's probably the, probably all the marriage counseling people need, at least men, don't do stupid stuff. Uh, no, exactly. Why work them so hard, right? What a way to show. See, part of it is, is you know, your time in your life is, is sliced up in, um, in minutes and energy, right? And if you're wasting your time doing stupid stuff, you can't be doing smart stuff. It's hard to do stupid stuff with smart stuff at the same time, despite people's you know, interest in multitasking. So in some, in some sense, you, know, you, you think about one of the great regrets of life is how much time you've wasted on stupid stuff, useless stuff, hateful stuff, angry stuff. Come on, right? So, for example, should a woman have an angel that would bump and nudge her toward things that were more salutary, one would think you'd say thank you for that, right? Um, Lutherans get nervous, these things get developed, and they can, you know, yes, of course things can go wrong. Of course you can get tradition that can move to superstition. Of course you can. Of course you can. Is that really our problem? 
in the Lutheran church? Is that really our problem, that we're too, that we're too, too worshipful of our angels and sometimes confuse them with Christ? You kind of go, what? You know? You know, it probably would be better for us to say, thank you very much, observe the things we know about them, make less work for them, um, and um, see what happens someday. It's, heaven is going to be very interesting in ways that we do not expect. There's going to be a whole big story, a whole narrative that went on, that which we didn't see, partly because we weren't there yet, but partly because we didn't pay attention. Right? We didn't pay attention. We were too preoccupied with a lot of other things that weren't, you know, fully of Jesus. Mr. Shaw. I have a question. I hope I have an answer. Okay, good. Yes, everything is related. Good, okay. How do I know when to stop being angry with myself for things I've done and do and when to let myself off the hook because Jesus saved me? I think now is good. <laughs> but, right now. But if I still have the tendency to sin, I shouldn't let myself off the hook because it's a free, it's a get out of jail free and it's too easy to do that when I need to work on improving. Well, so when you, after you come to the men's retreat and have another big dose of law and gospel, you'll analyze this in a different way. You'll say, well, that kind of thing is under the law. So let me, you spin it out like this. One way to spin it out is I stay angry at myself so I don't do the things I'm angry about. That's going to be a grim way to live. You might want to spin it out a different way. You might want to say, I do some things that are horrible. It's made me angry. But um, Jesus has forgiven that. I'm resurrected and have a fresh start. And beyond that, um, he's told me what's good for me, uh, which we use with the very kind word, obedience. And so if I do what Jesus asked me, Win, 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 right? So that would be the other way to think about it. Your anger really doesn't do you an awful lot of good. Anger is an emotion. You remember there was a margin comment that ran a month or two ago that said emotions are, um, are uh, good servants but bad masters, which could translate something like this. When you do something really stupid or sinful, you know, your anger can last the day. That's the scriptural, you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So you can be, and especially at yourself, you know, people get angry at themselves. I mean, I get angry at myself all the time about things. But there's a point at which it doesn't help. It becomes self-destructive. And it certainly doesn't push you toward uh, or energize you for obedience. Right? That's not where the energy for obedience comes from. It doesn't come from anger. It comes from love. Yeah. So just punch it. Absolutely. So, you know, I would say, for you, I would say sundown. So there you go. Of any given day. How's that? Yeah, love you. All right. Um, still good? So just to kind of go, at point 11, kind of to go to your question. You know, what, what in the world does your angel do? I, oh, I should have. So explicitly I want to read this text at the, uh, at the bottom of page 9. See that you do not despise these little children, right? For I tell you that in heaven their angels see the face of my Father, right? So they directly see the face. So when you're, when you're a child, you have, uh, you have an, an angel who becomes your ally. What do they do? Well, this is kind of page, page 11. You know, of course they serve God. You know, no kind of, kind of notion there. But also the whole idea that your angels serve you, 
right? And so I won't read this whole story, but you know, it's one of my all-time. You know, it's as good as stories get in the in the in the Old Testament. This story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the fiery furnace. You know, worship this idol. We won't worship this idol. Kill them. Hey, you know this great thing where he says. You know, um, I've kind of in the third paragraph that he says, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. See, this is, you know what's so brilliant about this? This feels like American society. Like people say to Christians, Hey, you're really stupid. You don't know how the game is played, right? And it's going to go really badly for you if you carry on like this. And these guys sort of say, Hey, we don't really need to answer you. This is, doesn't have been sassy, but, you know, really, you don't, you've got no idea what you're talking about. We don't really need to answer you here. Now listen to this. This is one of the great lines in Scripture. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of our hands. So if God wants to, he'll spare me. But if not, right? So how would you normally, how would you normally think about this? You think, well, if I get my way, and if I get spared, and everything is okay, and if I live, that's good, and if I don't, it's bad. No, no, that's the wrong paradigm. That's the wrong story. That's not our narrative, Right? If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, you should know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. So either way, we're going to do the right thing. It's just this remarkable thing. And of course, you know the story. They heat it up, and they toss them in, and they dress them in extra clothes, you know. Winter Park is from L.L. Bean and those nice, yeah, so, you know, and then, then, you know, and then at the top of the next page, the great line, all the guys who toss them in die, and they heated it up, you know, a zillion times hotter than it's been before, and then Nebuchadnezzar peers inside, and then this great thing, didn't we toss three in, they said, he says, didn't we toss three in, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, yeah, we did, we tossed in three, but I see four men, and then this, you know, Right? Not this cowering sort of, I hope it doesn't get to me. No, I see four men walking around in the midst of the fire, kind of enjoying it. Right? And they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth, and then the clue. Like, see, you, you'd have to think of a guy who has scales on his eyes. I mean, this guy can hardly see, right? He, this is a stretch of his reality. When he can just sort of look inside and just kind of see. And there's one guy, and he's sort of different. He looks like a... Uh, Son of the gods, and you think that's about as well. That's about as good as Nebuchadnezzar can do, right? That's about as, That's about all you can expect from him. He's so corrupted, right? He's so ruined in how he sees and how he thinks and how he loves, how he chooses, and of course, then um, he pops out, and you know, the hair was not singed, and their 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 cloaks were not burned, and not even the smell of the fire had come upon them. I mean, this is just like. The angels are there to serve you. I just have to go back to your two questions, because here's the thing. You're asking the question that I want to ask, and of course I'm always asking myself why Lutherans don't ask this question. right? This is the question. You have this kind of a story. right? You're, you're said that when you're a child you have this angel, and you have these kinds of stories where people serve. And then we're so like, we couldn't possibly. You sort of have to ask yourself, why not? Right? And you have to wonder if there's something sort of sinful in not being grateful for such a great gift. You know, even the things, even the stories, you know, where it says, you know, the angel who bore Moses to heaven, 
He has a fight with Satan on the way up as Satan tries to get him one last time. Right? I mean, you know, even, and you can kind of dead Moses, you know, if you sort of press it out, completely passive and unable to protect himself, is born to, born to heaven by the angels. You know, if you start to stitch these stories together, you get a long narrative of the angels caring for you. And not to be thankful for this, um, the best you can say is that's dangerous, I think. Right? So, always servants to God, always servants to you, and then this idea as messengers. And I've given you a long list of places where angels come to interpret visions and bring messages and help you out. Of course, uh, the great one is when the angel comes to Mary. And I give you that text and you know this. And The interesting thing that somebody as wonderful as St. Mary is troubled by the appearance of the angel. Um, it is troubling, of course, for us to, and we have experiences where we're troubled beyond what we can imagine. These things, even though we confess this visible and invisible, it's out of our ken. It's not our normal situation. We say this about the demonic as well, too. This is why the demonic is frightening for us. It's outside our ken. But interesting, this, you know, this unique visitation of one other than us, who is by nature, right, smarter and stronger than we. This is one of the reasons you never engage the demons, and this is one of the reasons you are thankful for the angels. They're smarter and stronger than we. And when they come to bless us, you know, this is sort of like, I can't really believe how good this is. But that, of course, is how Mary receives it very quickly. And, and of course, the angels say what Jesus says. Don't fear. Don't be troubled. All is well. God's for you. God's not, not, again, not again. God's for you, not against you. I'm always for you. God's not against you, right? Um, and then, you know, I give you, gosh, um, I sort of give you all the other things they do, that they come as representatives, that they uh, come as warriors, that the angels fight Satan for us and kind of hold him back. You should think about that, too. It's not just that your guardian angel sort of keeps you from getting run over by a car, but that your angel protects you from the demonic. You've probably had experiences, I presume you have, and I've talked to some of you over the years about um, it's almost, it's interesting now, when somebody comes to me and almost says, uh, regularly, regularly, you know, a few times a year, you know, somebody will come to me and say, you're not going to believe this. Um, or they, it usually starts with, you probably think I'm crazy, but, that's usually how it starts, you probably think I'm crazy, but, the next word isn't that they, they um, axe murdered their family. Almost always, it's somebody who says, I woke up and somebody was sitting in the chair next to me, or there was a person riding in the car next to me, or I saw this. This happens two or three times a year here, right? And people, of course, are ashamed to admit it or to talk about it because everybody's going to think they're crazy. You know, I don't think they're crazy at all. Um, people just, you know, people have this. John Kleinig, I think when he was here, I think he told you the story of a person he was helping uh, to bring to baptism. I think he told you this story. Maybe he just told the pastor. I don't think it's, you know, I'll fuzzy it up enough for you. Anyway, there's a person he was helping to bring to baptism who had been um, troubled by demonic things uh, and abused demonically in, in, in growing up. And um, sort of at the point of the threshold of the, of the, of the, the church, um, the person says to John, um, if I go in, they say they'll kill me. 
And John says, well, you know, I'm your pastor. I'll go with you into the church they go, right? Now, see, you can read that on a whole bunch of levels. You can read that as threat. You know, you can read that as danger. But in the ultimate way you read it is of John's faithfulness as a pastor and the great risk this woman took to cross the threshold and then to realize it was all bluster, right? And so Luther's, you know, great story, but, you know, these things, you know, whether they're true or not, they, they make the point. If they aren't true, they should have been true, right? So, uh, like that ink mark on the wall. Uh, he wakes up and he sees the devil sitting on the bottom, of, on, on the end of his bed. You know, he wakes up kind of troubled. He, the devil's sitting on the end of his bed. And Luther says, oh, it's just you. And he turns over and goes back to sleep, right? So this is, see, that's the pure thing. That would be the thing. And that would be the, the response you want to muster. When you sort of say, well, it's just you, right? Because what you do is when you constantly confess visible, invisible, you're, you're confessing that, you're just confessing that America has 50 states, I mean, you're just confessing the fact of the matter. So if somebody says to you, there's 50 states, you'd be like, yeah, okay, let's move on. If somebody says to you, hey, you're liable to be attacked or wounded in this way, or on the other hand, you're liable to be protected and loved in this way, you just sort of move on. This, this sort of, this is, you just sort of tell this story and it should work for you. Question over there, Donna? Um, my father-in-law said as he was dying, I see the angels. Yeah, you know, um, and this is a very interesting thing. This is a very common thing. This happens, you know you know, 20 or 30% of the time people will. I've also had the other where I must say where I've had people who have been greatly tormented um, at their death. Um, my grandmother, for example, went to church every, every week of her life. She was greatly tormented by some sort of evil at her death, um, greatly discomforted. So, uh, you know, I can't see what people see. But I actually don't see that they're crazy. But see, here's the thing. See, so how do we really normally sort that out? We'd like, you're crazy, you're not crazy, it's real, it's not real. See, I think the creed sort of asks us to think about it in a different way. So, it's a wonderful thing to look forward to. Whether in that particular instance that's what's happening, you're anticipating, you see it as a vision, it's a reality. But here's what you do say about it. We know that the angels exist. We know that the demons exist. We know that the angels are pulling for us in the way of Jesus, we know that the demons would try to pull us apart and steal us even at the last minute. So how do we live, right? How do we live? We live just the way we're living. We go to church, we go to the Eucharist, we touch holy things, we don't touch unholy things, we're thankful for the protection we've got, we stay away from what's evil, and we do it all again next week. This is why people who don't come to church are absolutely crazy, right? Because, you know, Jesus says about every seven days, you, 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 it's like that stuff you put on the backseat of your car so if you spill a milkshake, it doesn't you know, sink in. That's, that's what happens when you come to church. We should have a big hose outside going. <laughs> so you could remember what's happening. I rest my case. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Yep. Okay, we'll take a look at this, and um, read the end of it about the ranks of angels, because then I just want to talk about that just a little bit as kind of the architecture of the universe.